Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. It's so good to see you all here and to be able to worship together. This just does my heart good just to see us all here. Even when it's raining, I didn't even know it was raining this morning until I stepped out into the wet humidity coming in here from the Sunday school class. But I want to um, just... I want us to talk a little bit more about our Grow series. You know, we talked last week about how um, Kristen led us to think about how the church had to adapt to its fast, rapid, I mean, exponential growth. Now, those apostles and disciples, those teachers, evangelists, preachers had to reach out and find a way to, to take care of the logistics on the ground while they were out teaching and preaching. And they decided to find seven men, deacons, to be bridges between the church and the world. We've continued that scenario today through our deacon ministries. The church was certainly growing rapidly, as we read in the, in the book of Acts. It, it takes me back to, a, as, I, as I think about today's uh, lesson in Acts chapter 15, I, I, I go back to 1994. This was, a, this was a big year for the Boykin family. That's Leanne and I. This was a huge year for us. We had been married for less than two years. We bought a new house. We had been in it less than a year. And I thought this was a great time to apply for a job in Atlanta, Georgia. There we were in Tallahassee for two years, 1990, married 1992, 1994 rolls around, and I think it's a good time to move. Who knew? Who knew all of the different pieces of the puzzle that will become crashing down? How do you sell a house within a year in a market that's not a seller's market? How do you, how do you leave a town that you've been in for 34, 32 years? How do you, how do, you do that? I, I didn't know. I'd never, I had never lived outside that 20-mile radius of Tallahassee. That was my world. Most of my family was there, the family that I, was, that I knew well and, and related to well. They lived in that radius. My, most of my friends, the vast majority of my friends, were in that radius. Everything I knew about the world was found in that little radius, that little circle. And for some reason, I thought the time was right. The iron was hot. It was time to leave Tallahassee, Florida and move to Atlanta, Georgia. So I applied for this job and was given an interview and they offered me the position with this consulting firm up there. It was a highly respected firm. It, it offered incredible opportunities for growth for me. Professional growth to understand more about the healthcare system and hospitals and hospital management and finances. And, and I, it was just a great opportunity. But we had to sell a house. We had to find a place to live. We had to leave all that I knew to go to a place I knew very little about. It was a difficult decision. So Leanne and I talked for days. We talked weeks about this decision. It, it was heavy on my heart. That's all I thought about for months. Was If I'm offered a job, would I go? What would I do? Where would we live? How will we make this work? 
When the job offer came, we talked more and more. And I talked to family members. I, I talked to Leanne's brother and Leanne's father, my father-in-law. I trusted their opinions, their experiences. I trusted it. And they, they, they were great sounding boards, but they were my in-laws. And they weren't going to give me the answer. They just gave me more stuff to think about. So I talked to good friends of mine who, who were successful in business, and I talked to them and, and got their thoughts. And again, they just said, you know, it's a great opportunity, but I, I can't tell you what to do. I talked to my dad, and my dad, I'm an only son, so he, he didn't want me to move away. But he told me something I'll never forget. He said, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I was given an opportunity, offered this great opportunity it was open-ended. I wasn't sure if it would work. And so I didn't, I didn't take it. I did something else. And I think about that decision all the time. And I ask myself, what if? What if? He didn't say he regretted his decision to not take it, but he said, if you don't go, you'll never know if it was the right thing to do or not. And so I went. God has a way of laughing at us and our, our fears. When we uh, told our Sunday school class in Tallahassee we were going to move, we had a Sunday school party. It was a Christmas party. And we said, we're, gonna, we're, we're moving to Atlanta. And one of our classmates, a young couple, said, well, what are you going to do with your house? Well, we're going to have to sell it. And they said, we, we want to buy it. So we, we, told, we told our class and sold the house in one, in the course of just a few hours. I think God has a way of laughing at us. But that decision that I, we made in 1994 sticks with me because of the process that we went through. I had my experiences of, of a 20-mile radius. That was my world. I had the tradition of my immediate family, and I had the traditions of all of my, my friends. And I had this idea of reason. What's the logic behind the move or not moving? These were all kind of feeding, feeding my decision-making. The early church gives us a really good example of how to make decisions as a community. We find a really good example of this in Acts chapter 15. You'll find it in your bulletin. Acts chapter 15 is a very incredible description of the church making a very important, weighty decision. If we follow the story of Acts, we will learn that in chapter 9, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is, he has his conversion experience there on the road to Damascus when he meets Jesus Christ face to face, he's blinded, falls to the ground. His friends help him up, take him on to Damascus where he's discipled into the faith. Later, he and Barnabas begin their ministry travels. And they travel all over. And they begin to proselytize, evangelize the Gentile world. When they come back to Antioch, that's their home church. When they come back, they begin to tell the church, the congregation, you'll never believe what happened. You should have been there. You should have seen what God was doing in our midst. Gentiles just turning over to the faith, just finding God's grace. 
growing the community, God working in the lives and the hearts and minds of a Gentile world, the church was blowing up. Antioch, the church in Antioch was quite pleased with the reports, but there were others from Judea who were not so pleased to see these outsiders begin to come in. This is where we find the church having to make a decision. As we read in Acts 15, beginning in verse 1. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church. And as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days of God, in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he made no distinction between them and us. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen. From its ruins I will rebuild it and will set it up, so that all the other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago, Therefore... I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city, for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. May God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God.
Well, Paul and Barnabas have been about the work of God. They have been out preaching and teaching as far as they can go. And those who would listen and hear were the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. And they became members of this community of faith. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing for us to think about that there are, are radii that we want to live in. Mine was 20, 30 miles. That was how big my world was. And I, I suppose that most of the world outside of that 30-mile radius was much like in my radius. I had no idea what life was like in Atlanta or what life was like in Dothan, Alabama or what life was like in Fort Walton Beach or what life was like here in Mobile, Alabama. I had no way of knowing. But God did. It was in that decision that Leanne and I made after many conversations, after many deliberations, after much upset and concern and worry and anxiety, that I made a phone call and said, I'll take the job and I'll start on February the 6th. By the time we moved, our house was sold. On February 6th was a, was a, was a Monday. February the 5th, it snowed about three or four inches in Atlanta. It's the coldest I have ever been in my life. For dinner that night, I stayed with a friend and we went to the Vortex Burger House. And I was so cold, I drank black coffee because it was hot. I ate a chili cheeseburger, double, because it was hot and spicy. And I had chili cheese fries because they were hot. <laughs> and I was still cold. The next day, I climbed into my car. I, I, I raked the snow off the car and scraped the ice off the windshield and, and made the three-mile drive about 10 miles an hour to a new life, a new world. And the experiences I've had there have changed the way I see the world. The people I met there have changed the way I live. And what came after that was moving to Dothan where I entered the work of the church and the ministry. I think God has a way of laughing at our fears and maybe even some of our decision-making. But I think on this occasion, in Acts chapter 15, the church got it right. And I'm thankful they did, because I don't want to be circumcised. I don't want to be circumcised at 27. And I'm glad I can be a part of the community that once demanded it. James did an incredible thing. This is James the Less. This is the brother of Christ, not James the brother of John. James the Less was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James the Less was a brilliant man, a wise man. And as he led the church in Jerusalem, he had to encounter this one debate, this one decision that changed the way the church would ever be again. The church had to decide 
How are we going to be a Christian community? How are we going to be this faith community that once embraced a system of laws and now embraces grace and faith alone? James heard the debate. He listened to the experiences of Paul and Barnabas and the experience of Peter with the Gentiles, how they witnessed the Spirit of God falling upon the Gentiles, changing their hearts, changing their lives, changing the community in which they lived. There was no mistaking. This was a transformative experience. He listened to the Pharisaical branch of the church their demand for the law, their demand for tradition. This is the way we've always done it. This is the way Moses demanded it. This is the way we live. This is the way the prophets have told it. This is in our scriptures. James is taking all of this in. He takes the traditions of Moses the traditions of the Jewish religion and faith. He takes the experiences of these evangelists and apostles and he places them alongside the scriptures as he reads them and he makes a reasonable and logical decision. We can live together. This can work. Because of your experiences, Paul and Barnabas and Peter, you have seen the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in the life of individuals and the community. This cannot be denied. We must accept it. At the same time, he's looking at the law and the tradition on the pharisaical side of the branch of the church. And he says, yes, this is true. We do have traditions. And part of those traditions comes into the scriptures. And the scriptures tell us that God will restore the Davidic dynasty. He will restore the kingdom of David. And all, all peoples, even the Gentiles, will be part of this dynasty, a part of this kingdom. And maybe we're seeing that happen right before our eyes. It just doesn't look like our 20 to 30 mile radius. God is doing something bigger than us, bigger than our world. And our experiences declare it. Our tradition upholds it. And the scriptures have laid it out in black and white. And James makes the reasonable, logical decision that this all fits together. And that these two camps under one house can live together. Those who want to follow the law and those who say the law is about grace. In this decision, he declares he needs to write a letter to the Gentiles that if you're going to be part of this community, this community of faith, then there are a few things you need to do, a few laws you need to follow. And these are do not fornicate. Do not eat food that's been offered to idols. Do not eat animals that have been strangled or blood. And when I read this, I, I have always thought, what an odd compromise to move from the, the heavy laws and circumcision to these dietary laws about blood, I, idol, meat offered to idol, idols, and fornication. What a, I, that's quite a gap in my mind. 
But when I read a little closer and I read in his context, in his world, it makes perfect sense. Because here was a barrier to the Gentiles, circumcision, and some of the laws. This was a barrier that even Peter acknowledged that their ancestors could not hold up. And they themselves could not hold up while we put such a yoke on the Gentiles. Let's do away with this barrier. Let's not have these barriers, but rather let's set some parameters where we can live together, where we can share fellowship together and sit at the table together, because that's what James is doing. When we look at the Gospel of Luke and we look at Acts, this is the same writer with the same concerns and the same issues. When you read the Gospel of Luke, Jesus shares a lot of table fellowship. There's a lot of love, a lot of fellowship, and a lot of discipling that takes place around the table, eating food together, breaking bread together. Jesus sat with sinners, tax collectors, the unclean, much to the dismay and shock of the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. Luke picks this same notion up and lays it on Acts and says this is still important. This whole notion of breaking bread together, of sitting at the table together, of having fellowship together is still important. And it's possible if we can agree to just not eat blood, not eat foods that's been offered to idols, to not eat strangled meat, and let's not fornicate, let's not break the basic, the basic relationship between man and woman. Let's not violate this loving relationship. A relationship that exists between people. A relationship that is about sharing, about life together. Let's not violate and break those relationships and those covenants. You see, James understood that if we can break down the barrier for the Gentiles and keep them in, in fellowship with the Jews, we have a chance to live out what God has desired. We can live together. We can get alongside each other and blow the church up. Just watch it balloon and take over the world because that's God's desire for all of us to have a relationship with him and with one another. James found a way to do that in Acts chapter 15 that honored the scriptures, that honored the tradition of the Pharisees and the Jewish religion, that honored the experience of the apostles and evangelists, of Paul and Barnabas and Peter, and honored the God-given reason of his mind of our minds that's a wonderful thing that's a powerful thing for us to see unfolding in the early church to see and to understand that it's it's for us 
We've been given this incredible process to make decisions, to reflect on scriptures, to make sense of life together. If James the Less is right, and if John Wesley is right, who used these four legs of a, of a table, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason, if he is right in how he reflects on scripture, then maybe we can be right and use the same process to make decisions and reflect on scripture as we face our future, as we face decisions that are today and decisions that are for tomorrow. Let us face it as James and the early church faced it. Rather, let us face it as our church. Let us find ourselves open to God's spirit. Let us not confine God's spirit by our own presuppositions, our own knowledge and experience of our own small worlds, 20 and 30 miles wide. Rather, let us find scripture as our starting points and make sense of the holy writ through our living tradition that we have inherited for over thousands of years. And let us test our experiences, our communal corporate experiences with the Holy Spirit, transformative experiences against the promises of Scripture. Then we may find ourselves as a community coming to a reasonable decision that will keep us open to the Holy Spirit's leading. All this is simply to say, when we use what God has given us, what God has revealed to us, we are able to make spirit-led decisions that may indeed surprise us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.